Hello and welcome to HIV Matters Podcast. My name is Michelle Croston and as your host I will be facilitating interesting conversations with leading experts in the field of HIV care. The conversations will be centred around exploring ways to improve quality of life for people living with HIV. Throughout my career I've always had a keen interest in any initiatives to improve outcomes for people living with HIV which has led me to work with a variety of different organisations, with different healthcare professionals and activists. Here at HIV Matters, we hope to use our unique perspectives and platforms to improve knowledge and understanding with regards to HIV. In order to do this, we will engage in conversations with people living with HIV, people who have worked in the HIV sector, and sometimes a mixture of both. We hope you enjoy the episode and if you have any ideas or questions on this or future episodes, please contact us at hello at hivmatters.co.uk. You can also follow us on Instagram at hivmatterspodcast or visit our website at www.hivmatterspodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and comment on our show. Today I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Stephen Hart. Stephen is a actor, YouTuber and HIV activist. Stephen is best known for his successful YouTube show, Heart Talks. I'm absolutely delighted that Stephen's agreed to join, join us today on HIV Matters to tell us more about his acting career his activism and also his wonderful show, Heart Talks. Thank you, Stephen, for agreeing to be a guest on HIV Matters today. So thank you so much for sharing that wonderful article with me that um, talks about your life and career. What I'll do is I'll drop the article in the chat for our, our listeners. So one thing that you mentioned within the article which I just wanted to kind of touch on is that you developed your own one-man show which I was like absolutely fascinated by so I'm wondering if you're able to share for our listeners a little bit more about this and some of the highlights you've had as a result of undertaking your one-man show. Yeah sure Michelle so um, I did a one-man show and called it Shadow Dreamer Um, and I took it to New York in 2009 and hoped that I might get a month there. You know, I thought if I'm really lucky, I'll get to play my show for a couple of weeks. Um, nine months later, the show closed off Broadway. Um, and it was just, it was it was one of the most exhausting things that I've ever done in my life. But at the same time, it was one of the most rewarding. And, um, and it gave me faith in my story, you know, because for so many years I'd been brought up in an abusive family. Um, there was physical, there was emotional abuse, there was sexual abuse, was everything was going on. Um, my mother was schizophrenic, my father was an alcoholic. Um, so there was there was issues all around and um, I never thought my story was important, you know, because that's what I'd been told as a child. Nobody would want to listen, nobody would want to hear it. But by the time I'd got to my mid-30s, I realised that these all these secrets that I was holding on to were killing me, you know, and I needed to do something creative and hopefully helpful with with them. And that became my one-man show, Shadow Dreamer. Um, and it, yeah, it ran for nine months. And it 
still when i look back on it you know it's been 12 years since it, since it it finished you know but it just i still have people contacting me about it saying we saw the show it made such a difference to us and you know i the experiences that you've been through or they've been through, you know, they can, they can share those, those feelings and those emotions. And, um, so it was, it was a very empowering thing to do. Um, but it was, I realized how important and powerful our stories are. Well, thank you for touching on that. And thank you for sharing on that. I think obviously listening to you, you've just mentioned the power of story and that we've all got a story to tell and just kind of having your story out there and validated as well must have been, as you mentioned, really empowering. So within the article, Stephen, you mentioned about your journey to activism. So I was just wondering if you're able to share a little bit more about what led you to, to activism and developing your wonderful show. I think it was all a bit of an accident, to be honest, Michelle. You know, it was, I didn't go out there planning to become an activist. I I was just looking for something that I could do that could make something good come from something bad. And I looked at my life and it, it wasn't something that was full of happy memories. It was full of quite ha- sad and hard memories, you know. And I was just looking for something that would would make a difference to my life, but would hopefully make a difference to somebody else's life. And really that's how I stumbled across being an activist. Um, And once I did that, you know, it led to other things. And again, going back to how powerful storytelling is, you know, I realized that, you know, it could be that one story that makes a difference for somebody, you know, and I thought, well, if that's what you want me to do, then I'll do that and I'll continue doing that for as long as I'm I'm able, you know. So um so yeah, it wasn't it was a kind of kind of a bit of an accidental um, you know, route route to to get there, you know. It wasn't it wasn't a planned way, um, so to say. I think you've just mentioned again about that kind of the power of the story. And I think definitely doing the podcast as I've had, you know, sharing these stories, we don't know who listens to our stories or the the ripple effect that those stories can have as well. I know I was listening to a different podcast, which talked about um, Brooke Shield, who was was mentioning about her own journeys, obviously slightly off piste. um, And it basically, the stories and the things that we choose to share, maybe just part of a little bit of an insight into our own lives but actually they help other people with that. And I think sometimes we don't know the ripple effects of what our stories can have. And maybe we never we never know that, but it's just having that confidence and strength to be able to share our stories in the first place. So thank you for having the courage to share your story. And I'm sure, as you mentioned, it was on for, for all that time, nine months, so all that ripple effect um, as well. So thinking about sometimes when I'm thinking about my my own story and my own journey, I always think about what would I tell a younger version of myself if I could go back to any point in time? So I'm just wondering if you could go back in time, um, is there any advice that would you, you would give a younger version of you? I think, as I said, Michelle, I grew up in a very abusive family um, and I was constantly told that nobody would love me nobody would want me i'm not worth anything and however much therapy however much you you go through that that kind of stays with you so i think i would if i had a choice to 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 tell my, my younger self something i would constantly remind my younger self that 
I am worth something and that, you know, some people will love me and that I can make a difference and I can do something with my life. Because as much as it's, as much as it's very much in the back of my head now, it never goes away completely or it hasn't for me, you know, so, um, and it crops up every now and again, you know, it'll crop up on my shoulder and I'll suddenly be like, oh, right, am I good enough for this? And should I be doing this? And so I think that would be for me just um, a confirmation that, you know, that I'm doing all right, you know, and that, that things will get better, you know, because as a child, when you grow up in that kind of, in that kind of environment, you think that as crazy as it is, you think it's normality because that's all you've ever known. Um, and I used to watch the television and see, I used to watch the Waltons and things like that and, and, and look at that and think, oh my goodness, that's what a family, that's what a normal family must be, you know? Um, so yeah, so I did, I did spend many years trying to be like the Waltons, you know, but, um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's what I would tell myself. Thank you. Yeah. I think you, you've, you've obviously touched on something that's really important and we do a lot of kind of, um, talking on the show about trauma-informed care and thinking about mental health support and psychological wellbeing and how really those early relationships really do shape um, the way we see the world or the way we interact with the world as well so thank you for, for for sharing that that with us and kind of really kind of emphasizing the impact that these early stories and these early messages have on us as, as people when we're growing up You mentioned sometimes that you know you have this um, kind of thought that in your mind, although it's in the back of your mind, you know, not good enough. I mean, the days when you're struggling, is there anything that you particularly draw on that helps you get through that about those times when that voice creeps in? I suppose it's two things. I suppose I look at what I've done, you know, um, and when you have a one-man show that ran for nine months and closed off Broadway and, you know, and I look at my, I was an actor for 20 years before that, you know, and worked in the West End, had the lead role in the Andrew Lloyd Webber show and things like that. I kind of have to look at those things and remind myself, um, Stephen, you've done that. You know, that was you. Um, so, you know, so on the on those days, you know, that I do feel those, that kind of way, um, it, it probably looking at things like that and remind myself of those things, or take myself off to the theatre. That's another. That's another real um, kind of thing that I do to boost myself. You know, because watching other people be creative encourages me to be creative. So, um, so it's a kind of two way thing. So, yeah, I use that as well as a as a kind of way to to encourage myself. So yeah, so just to kind of reflect on that. So looking at the evidence, how much evidence is it that I can't do this? And obviously, you've got a really good history of being able to do things. So that's great to draw. And then again, that looking at um, other actors or other creative beings to to help you through that time, which is brilliant. So thank you. You mentioned then about acting being a really important part of your story. And you had. 20 years being an actor really successful so I'm wondering how, how has that helped with the activism or kind of the next phase of your life as well 
I suppose it's it's been um, it's been a good training to. Uh, I think my show was a, a massive, you know, training, uh, you know, it crash course, yeah, as I would say, into into activism because I didn't realise that doing my show was getting me on the road to being an activist. But what happened at nights, Michelle, is I would go back to the apartment and I'd opened up an email account for the show so people could find out when it was next on, where it was next on, all those kind of things. But I used to get back to the apartment at night and there were just these emails from people who'd been in the audience telling me their stories. And they were huge stories, you know, and I'd often be up till the early hours of the morning reading these stories and digesting them. And um, and it kind of it kind of made me go, wow, this is this is me on a on a route that I never really planned to be on. But um, but yeah, so so the acting it, it it kind of gave me gave me the confidence to get up and and be able to speak in front of an audience um, for one. But when you're telling your own story, it's different, you know. It, it's I didn't feel as if I was putting on a performance, although it was a performance, I, I always kind of struggled with where does it fit because it's my life. And I suppose I was quite, um, I was quite protective of it, you know, because um, because I'd lived it and I'd been through it. So uh, I was I was quite protective of it. But yeah, learning learning where to put that and where to, um, you know, to to go with it. it was all all a way of, of finding my feet in in you know in what I was going to do next so my acting career definitely it was definitely a platform it was definitely a, a springboard to be able to to stand up in front of people and go hey this is me type thing definitely and I guess you yeah just kind of resonating with what you said there about this is you're not acting this is your story this is your life and I guess it's 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 a vulnerable place to be as well, isn't it? You know, you're up in front of an audience telling your truth, speaking your truth. And then it's beautiful how you said lots of people then emailed you their stories and that kind of powerful, that ripple effect that we alluded to previously about giving people that permission. And we, we, I know when people share their stories with me, we don't know if that's the first time they're sharing it. Or it might be the hundred and first time, but it's just having the privilege of holding those stories and helping people to make sense of what's happened to them as well. Yeah. And so often, Michelle, people would say, you know, I've never told anybody before. And I said, well, you've told somebody now, somebody else knows and and I think that makes such a difference to know that somebody else knows, you know, that that story or that secret is not is not yours. You know, it's not only yours anymore. You've shared it with somebody. And I hope that that made it easier for them. You know, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think you're right. Just sharing that that story with somebody, having somebody listen and kind of validating that experience that it did happen and that, you know, in lots of times it, it wasn't okay what happened to me, that, you know, it, it happened and just hearing hearing people's story is really, really powerful. So thank you for sharing.
So I've been recently, as we've talked about before we started pressing record on the show, I've been a little bit obsessed with your YouTube channel, <laughs> I must admit. We've had many burnt teas and dinners in the house while I've been caught up in um, watching your show, so thank you. One of the ones that I've got particularly stuck on was the one with Jason Domino when he was talking about conversion therapy. I think it was really, really powerful for me, and I learned so much that and also, it was really, really shocking to think that actually in 2020, when we're listening to stories, I mean, we talk about, when I'm a, a nurse educator as well, um, as the listeners of HIV Matter know. So sometimes when we're talking about sexuality, when we're talking about human rights, when we're talking about um, people living with HIV and things like that. So we, we, we revisit things. But I think I was really shocked about conversion therapy still happening in 2020. So I think that's obviously something that really... Kind of shocks me and I don't know if you want to, to touch on that and also I, I really loved your story around Diana as, as well when you met her as a student nurse so I guess that was another thing that I wanted to ask you about um, about your days as a student nurse as, as well so I wonder if you'd like to, to talk to any of those points for us. Yeah so um, doing that video on my YouTube channel Heart Talks um, with Jason was um, as you see Michelle it was just like how can this still be going on? How can it be? How can it be umbrellaed under this? Um, whether it's religious and whether it's you know wh wherever it, people are, are trying to, you know, continue to make allow it to happen. You know, it it just seemed madness, and um, and it was really it was eye opening for me having Jason on because I find that with all my guests, I I I, I learn from them you know which is a, a wonderful thing for me you know but um, I knew about conversion therapy but I just felt it was really important to have somebody that had been through it that had experienced it and that was fighting to try and change things um, so yeah so that was very it was very powerful for me that one as well you know um, and jumping over to the Diana video um, yeah uh, I met Princess uh, Diana when I was 18 I think no, 19 um, I just started training um, when I when I first left school I trained to be I don't even know if they have enrolled nurses anymore so I was an S I was an SEN a state enrolled nurse um, so I, I did my training and I ended up working in hospice care for two years um, and loved it it was it was a very it was a it was a really tough and challenging job but i loved it you know and um and yeah getting to meet princess diana was just it, it was amazing she was she really was um she was she had all these security guards and you know and but she still she made a point of 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 spending extra time with people and and she gave her bouquet to somebody you know and all, did all these things that you just think yeah you know um she was a very special person so so yeah that was that was my my nursing career um of course i, I threw it all by the wayside to to follow my dreams of being an actor um after i left the hospice you know um i thought now's the right time to to pursue my acting career and that's what i did yeah so thank, thanks for sharing that story i think i was reading learning more about that i was like oh 
you've met Diane. Oh, actually, you was a nurse. I didn't know which one I was more fascinated <laughs> with. I was like, wow. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you know, thinking about um, it's, nursing's a good background for, for everything. But, yeah, I'm delighted yeah. that you um, you developed your acting career as well. So thank you again for sharing that with our listeners. So we've talked a little bit about Heart Talks, but I'm just wondering what inspired you to create the YouTube platform? So after doing Shadow Dreamer in New York, in, it was 2009, 2010, um, I came back to London, I was home again, um, and I had quite a, a following uh, on social media from people that had seen the show. Um, and, you know, I used to call them the dreamers, you know, because they were they were this young, this group of people people who um followed and wanted to know what was happening next you know and for a couple of years I didn't know and I knew that I also have diabetes um as well as being pos HIV positive so um my diabetes after having that since the age of three I started to develop some serious health problems and my life was changing in the fact that I couldn't be an on-the-go actor like I was anymore so um so i started looking at things and looking at how can i still tell my story but allow others a space to tell their stories as well and youtube was always there it was always in, it was always kind of floating around and i always think, thought what happens if nobody watches my videos what happens you know i was always always really worried that i wouldn't wouldn't kind of build up a following um of people to watch and um and I suppose I just took the jump, you know, six six years ago now. Yeah, um, Heart Talks has been going for six years. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm not the usual, I don't fall into the usual age group of YouTubers, you know, and, and all these things. So everything was kind of saying, you shouldn't be doing this. But I thought, I, I thought I'm going to give it a go. And six years later, um, you know, I've... I've had some amazing guests on Michelle. Some people that have 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 shown me the way that their world works and their their lives. And you know, I love to get people who've lived different lives from me. You know, as well because um, I think the more we get to know people, the less scary they seem. You know, the less threatening. You know, um, so I think it's so important to to allow people to tell their stories because. I've made some wonderful friends through Heart Talks, you know, um, just from people who have been on. And, um, yeah, it's it's been a very it, – it takes a lot of work to be a YouTuber, you know, but it also, you know, you get, I've got a lot back from it as well. So it, it works both ways. And I think you're right, creating that platform to enable people to tell their stories and – also, like you said, getting to know people differently and getting to know different sides of different people's story. And I will drop the link in the show description to um, Stephen's show because there's just so many great, great shows, one after the other, as um, like I'll, I'll vouch for, you know, it's, it's been amazing. So thinking about that, has there been any particularly difficult topics for you to record? I think my most difficult one, and... As soon as you ask that question, it jumps out to me straight away. Um, I started my YouTube channel in the March, Michelle, with the with the knowledge 
that I knew that I was going to come out publicly as somebody living with HIV on World AIDS Day, which is December 1st. So the build-up was coming, you know, so um, every video I did was kind of a build-up to this December 1st video. Um, I, I'd done my show in New York. It had been seen by about 4,000 people. Um, but doing your show on the other side of the world, telling telling a bit about HIV and then moving on, um, but this time I was going to come out and I was going to say, I'm living with HIV, this is what HIV looks like now, all those kind of things. Um, and I was, I was scared. I was, I was really anxious about it because I thought once it's out on the internet, it's out there, you know. And um, But I knew I was doing the right thing, but it didn't stop me being, being really nervous about it. So that was, that, that one for me was probably the, the, the big one, you know, because I, I just didn't know what the response would be. You know, but I was very, very lucky, and and people were very, very, you know, and the, the majority of people were very kind and understanding, and um, asked questions, which is always what I want. I'm like, ask me questions, you know. I would rather you ask me questions and get the, the you know, get my story right, you know, than make it up yourself, you know. So, um, so yeah, so it was as as much as it was, it was scary doing it and and, and making that happen. Um, it paid off definitely. Thank you. I guess on lots of level, that must have been the hardest, probably one of the hardest shows you've ever done. Um, to be out there, like you say, live on the internet as well. And I'm, I'm delighted that you've got some great support as a as a result of that. And I think you know one thing that always springs to mind is you know that feel the fear and do it anyway. It's kind of a really hard um, thing to to do, and um, no doubt inspired lots of other people to be bold and share their stories as well so thank you for sharing that so thinking about if you could have a fantasy guest on your show who might that be and they can be in the past they could be living I suppose I would love to be all deep and meaningful and have somebody that had made a huge difference in the world and, and all that kind of thing. But um, I suppose it would be somebody theatrical. It would be like somebody like Judy Garland or, you know, just somebody that, that because the history of theatre, the history of, um, of old movies and all that kind of thing is something that I love. And, um, so, so to sit down and have a cup of tea with Judy Garland or, or you know, or, or Rock Hudson or, you know, just, you know, just somebody like that that has such a story because I think their stories, you know, although we know bits of their stories, to, to find out, you know, what they went through and their struggles and their, their, their fights and their, all those kind of things, I think it would be, you know, I would just be... I would just be in heaven, you know, I would just be, you know, in a great place sitting, listening to, to their stories, you know, so, so that, but yeah, that, that, that's probably the answer to that. That sounds good. I'd definitely watch that as well. I think, like you're saying, you learn so much for, from seeing people that you admire and listening to their stories um, as well. So thinking about your YouTube channel, I was just wondering for our listeners at home, um, how important is it? Do you think it? How important is it? Do you think to encourage people to talk about HIV um, on their different platforms? 
I think it's amazingly important, you know, I think it's so necessary and vital, you know, that we continue to talk about HIV because it hasn't gone away. Um, and it's, you know, the way we treat HIV, the way we deal with the virus now is so different than it was in the 80s, you know, and I'm a positive voices speaker as well for Terence Higgins Trust. And it's amazing how often I'll go out into a school or into a business and talk and um, people still say, oh, but you still die of AIDS and is HIV and AIDS the same thing? And, you know, and, and all these questions that, you know, in this day and age, I kind of think everybody should know these things, you know. Um, so, yes, I don't, my, my YouTube channel is definitely not, all about HIV, but it's it's part of me. It's part of, of me of who I am, and um, and I think it's necessary to continue talking about it because until until we're at the place that we can fight that stigma, you know, or, or eradicate that stigma altogether, you know, then then there's a reason to talk about it. So yeah, I'll keep banging that drum, you know, for as long as as it needs to be done, you know, because I think. Um, I just think, and I think it's so important to educate kids, young people about it, because obviously I I, I grew up um, during Section 28, so we had no, you know, I think we had one day of sexual education and it was, you know, two rabbits, you know, it was just, it, you know, it's insane how little I came out of school knowing, you know, and I just think, I think it we it's a crime to allow kids to come out of school and not be educated on their own sexual health, but also sexual health in general, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's why, I have, why and how I feel it's important to keep, keep talking about it. Yeah, no, definitely. And you mentioned about sex education and obviously the, the positive speakers that like going into college. I think you're absolutely right. We can't, people just fill in the blanks, don't they? And I mean, I know when I was at school, there was nothing either, but and we didn't have access to um, Google back then. You yeah. know, we dialed up the internet, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was ridiculous. But now there's so much people can get access to that we need to be giving people facts and freedom to be able to express their sexuality as well without filling in the blanks. It's kind of, well, we don't talk about it, but it still happens. So actually providing people with a good education from early on is, is obviously vitally important. So thank you for sharing that great work as well. So within one of your shows that I was watching, you'd been in Bristol um, for a um, and I think it was about a, was that an art exhibition called We're Still Here? And I'm just wondering if you're able to share with our listeners a little bit more about that project. Yeah, so We Are Still Here, it was a project that was done by a photographer called Marika. And Marika, she basically went round and, and um, interviewed a group of people with HIV in their homes um, and in places that felt like home to them and basically it was about learning about how important home is to people living with HIV and it was a really interesting project because I uh, when I went on board I was like okay yeah home's important and but the more we talked about home the more I realized how important it was you know and as being somebody that had been homeless in as a, a you know in, in 
when I was 15. Um, I always knew that home was important to me, but but the way that this project was geared, you know, it really made you think about it. And um, so it was on in Bristol and then um, it came to London for a couple of days. And then it was at just recently on at the um, AIDS 2022 in Canada. Um, so they had they, they had a, a display of, of um, some of the photographs there. Um, and it was it was people from all different walks of life you know again Michelle you know just learning about different people how they live their lives and, and what what home was to different people and for some people it was I uh, you know it was four walls a roof um a co cozy fire and a couch you know whereas to other people it was swimming in the sea to other people it was being with their horses you know it was it was really interesting you know so um so that was that was the exhibition in Bristol and um, I spoke to Marika recently and they are hoping to um, to take it to different places you know hopefully take it to Manchester and um, involve people living with HIV in Manchester you know so um, just to get different stories again you know because each story had its own had its own power you know. Brilliant thank you for that and I'll definitely share with our listeners here when that you know more information about that project because uh, like I said when I was watching I was like gosh this is amazing and you just touched on that about this feeling of home you know I again I was like oh yeah home's important but actually listening and, and seeing it through your eyes I was like gosh yeah you don't really realize the significance of what what home is and how it means different things um, to different people so I'll definitely keep our listeners abreast with any more information on that amazing project so Stephen, I'm wondering for our listeners, would you be able to share with us any projects that you're currently working on or developing? So um, I am thinking um, very seriously about doing a podcast of Shadow Dreamer because there's so many people that didn't get to see it. Um, there's actually some really close friends, you know, back home. I'm from Glasgow originally, you know, people in Glasgow that don't know the story because it was something that I kept secret for so long. Um, and yeah, that, that's been an idea in my head to do it, like maybe a four part, um, you know, podcast um, of Shadow Dreamer and, and be able to do the show in that way, you know, so at least people can listen to it. Um, and then I'm also doing a short film in Brighton um, about suicide uh, or about the thoughts of suicide um, for people. Uh, I'm working with a charity called One in Six, and it's one in one in six men experience unwanted um, sexual advances or uh, assault um, in their life. And of course, there's still this big shame of oh, it doesn't happen to men, and you know why didn't you do you know all those kind of yeah old you know prehistoric ideas of what doesn't doesn't happen in life and um so we're going to do this short film about about suicide about how men feel and how they um how they cope with with things that have happened to them so um so yeah I'm looking forward to getting involved in that as well that'll be later on this month Thank you for sharing that powerful piece of work. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we've we, there was a national incident kind of with a lot of men in 
in Manchester being sexually assaulted and kind of the shame and stigma, as you mentioned, around that. And obviously something that I'm very passionate about is suicide. I spent some time working on a suicide prevention desk and I think it's just a very, very time and powerful documentary. So, oh, kind of this what I've just <laughs> so like, oh gosh, can't speak because I'm that excited about it. Yeah. So as soon as we have any more information about that, we will definitely share that with our listeners and also, I was delighted when you said you was going to do the podcast for um, for that. I, I will. I was sorry that I missed that show. I was like, oh gosh, where is it? Where is it? So yeah, I think lots of people will be very interested in that. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners. So thank you for taking part in the show. Now, this is the part of the show that I enjoy almost as much as the main interview. But this is the part of the show that we get to know you a little bit better. So can you share with our listeners something that you do as part of your self-care? Um, well, I kind of touched on it slightly earlier on, Michelle. But self-care for me is theatre. You know, I can go to the theatre and just get lost in a show and forget about what's going on outside forget about the prices of of food and heating and you know like all the all the things that are going on in the world that that are depressing us all you know put me in a theater and whether it's a play or a musical or um i just get lost i get i get pleasantly lost you know so it's um that for me is, is definitely self-care you know it's it's something that makes me feel better it's something that lifts me um so yeah I, I very often you'll see me sitting in the audience watching something that sounds like a wonderful self-care routine so thank you can you share with us a book that you may have been reading lately I've been reading a book, Michelle, that I've read before, um, but it's one of those books that I keep going back to. Um, it's a wonderful book called Holding the Man, and it's uh, by Timothy Cosgrove. And it's about, it's a love story, really. It's about a love story between um, Timothy and um, this boy that he meets at school, and about how both of them become HIV positive and about love and loss and all those different things. And it's it's such a beautiful book. Um, it's heartbreaking, but it's a beautiful book as well. And um, so I'm reading that for the, I think this is the third time. I read it and then I put it away for a year um, and then I, I, I read it again. So I looked at it last night and was reading it again last night and thought, yep, yeah, I'm back back into it again for the, for the third time. I love it when you get a book like that you, that you can go back to. So I'll definitely be checking that one out. So thank you very much. And finally, if you had a magic wand, so if I was able to grant magic wand wishes, if time, resources and money weren't an issue, what would you like to change or seem done differently? Wow. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> a small one to finish up. I, I know, I know. It's like, wow. Um, I suppose... There's a number of things. There's, I suppose that, you know, something important for me is the fact that I grew up without any sexual education. And I know speaking to people that I was at school with about some of the 
real mess ups that they made, you know, um, because of not having a proper set, sex education. So if I could wave a wand, I would definitely go back and um, make sure that sex education in schools is there, it's happening, it's current, you know, all those things. Um, and I suppose as well, I would, you know, if it was possible to change the way people view HIV, you know, and it's great, you know, it's great talking to you and it's great talking to other advocates that are up to date, know about HIV, but there's still a lot of people that do not know what HIV is now, how it's treated, what your life expectancy is, all these kind of things. Um, and I always say that the government needs to make a current advert, you know, they need to replace the Tombstone advert. Um, I will be in it. I will offer my services free of charge, you know, just to have people now living with HIV and living with HIV, you know, rather than what it was in the 80s. Um, I would love to make that happen, Michelle. That's always been a, a kind of pet, pet, you know, project of mine that I always hope one day will happen, you know, that that there will be a new advert come out to to say that is what it was, this is what it is now, you know, um, and it has changed. It has changed massively. No, I'm, I would, I'd love that to happen as well, Stephen. I, sp I speak to so many people, I listen to so many stories, and I, and I hear about the Tombstone ad and the damage that it's done. And, you know, we've never really updated the general public on where we are now. So no. we, we say, you know, people have got these old ideas, but nobody's ever gone back and said, actually, things have changed. So if we could do that, that would be amazing. And obviously, we've got the gift of you equals you. You know, that's a really powerful message, yeah. um, which I think everybody should know about. So that would be a good timely reminder so if anybody in government's listening yeah exactly <laughs> let us know <laughs> let us know we'd be delighted to help with this because yeah. it is a gift um, and something that is it is about um, sharing that, that information as well so thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you no problem thank you Thank you to today's guest and to you for listening to this episode of HIV Matters. I don't know if you're anything like me and are busy writing down the lovely book suggestions made in our show. That's why HIV Matters have teamed up with bookshop.org to bring all these fantastic books to you in one unique place. To find out more about this and how to access the bookstore, please check out today's show descriptions. Today's edition of HIV Matters has been brought to you via an unrestricted educational grant from Vive Healthcare and Gilead Sciences. Gilead and Vive have had no input into guests or topics. HIV Matters is the official podcast of the National HIV Nurses Association. For more information about the National HIV Nurses Association, head over to www.nivna.org. Thanks again for listening to our show. We hope to see you next time and together we can make a difference.